0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now over the past three months, we have traveled through a wide variety of Psalms, beginning with Psalm 1 and 2 right up to now, Psalms 110. I pray that it, was, uh, it had been a wonderful journey to walk through Psalms and I pray that you look forward to coming back to Psalms again. Perhaps next year uh, at some point. Um, but today will be the last psalm for this year. Last week we looked at Psalm 109, which is an impeccatory psalm of David. It was, a, it was not an easy psalm because it was a psalm where David called God not to be silent, but to bring judgment on his enemies. In fact, it was uneasy to have read Psalm 109 where curses come up from the lips of David against his enemies. And the unease only comes when we start to recognize it is actually speaking about God's king's enemies. In fact, it was the need to destroy the enemies in order that God's king can rule perfectly in God's, uh, in, in God's uh, kingdom. So Psalm 109 last week was about, this, about King David But we also saw that it ultimately points to King Jesus. Now this week, as we step into the last psalm, in fact it is actually the psalm after 109. We are coming to Psalm 110. This is another enthronement psalm which speaks about the reign of the King of God. But as we look at this, uh, it is a very unusual psalm as well. If you think that Psalm 109, you kind of felt uneasy until it finally points to Jesus. Then you are in just the right place as we come to Psalm 110. Because even the author himself, as he writes Psalm 110, he says, You know what, as I'm writing this, is not about me as well. So you are in a good place from last week if you see that it is about Jesus. Because Psalm 110, David himself will say likewise. So as we come to Psalm 110, This is what it is for us. If you are someone who is unafraid in life and not worrying about where you are going to, Psalm 110 is a place where you should be very afraid. But if you are someone who is kind of afraid and struggling but hoping for escape and exit and rescue, Psalm 110 becomes a psalm that is of great comfort because it is a psalm to say, you will be alright. So come with me. To Psalm 110, because this psalm ultimately brings two things for us. I'll bring up to you the two things that it brings for us. The first is God's final judgment using His King. And the second is God's solution for those who want to get out of judgment. In fact, incidentally, Psalm 110, you might have found it a bit familiar, even if you haven't read this psalm for a while, because It is actually one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. So even without reading Psalm 110, you might have found some of the verses familiar. So with that, let's ask God to help us as we come into Psalm 110 to see what is ahead um, as David writes this psalm. Let's pray. Dear Father, by your mercy, make known your truth to us. Help us to understand the victory of your King. To see further the judgment of your enemies, and to see the hope of a rescue in your mercy, we pray, God, you, that you please apply your solution and your rescue on us here, all of us here. We come to you in Jesus' name, Amen. So, if they're open to um, your bulletin or your Bible to so Psalm 110, as you come to Psalm 110, it is um, broken down naturally into two parts. Or two oracles, if you like to use the word. The first is from verse 1 to verse 3. In fact, the first oracle has it for us that God says to a particular Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So that is the first oracle. The second one comes in verse 4 where again the Lord, the Lord God says to the same Lord, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this is where we will go today. We will spend a fair bit of time looking at the first oracle and then we will look at the second one. In fact, let's begin by looking at the verses of verse 1 with me. Look at your Psalm 110 with me. Let me read for us. Of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. The first thing, as you kind of read Psalm 110, is this big question. And the question is this, Who is the Lord? Who is my Lord? If you look at it, the Lord says to my Lord, Who is this my Lord? Could could David be speaking about someone who is greater than him? Could David be speaking about someone that is going to come in his time? You know, as as scholars kind of deal with hundred and ten, a lot of people try to resolve this my Lord by saying, actually this is not really a psalm of David probably someone in the courts or perhaps a priest or prophet who writes, talking about the coronation of King David or perhaps even King Solomon. So it's actually God saying to my Lord King David. But if you look with me on this, um, it is actually quite against the obvious, and it's kind of just a cheeky way of trying to get out of, trying to say who is that, my Lord. Because if you have read with me the superscription there of David, this this word is very much a part of the Psalm itself. You you cannot take out the word of David or of the Psalm of David in the Psalms because it is not added by the New Testament translators. The word of David is in the original text of the Psalms itself. So when he says it's very hard to kind of take an exception, all the other psalms, when he says of David or Psalm of David is David's writing, but for Psalm hundred and ten, you know, it's actually not David's psalm. So it's kind of really hard to put a fast one to say it is not a psalm of David. But then if it is a psalm of David, then what does that mean for David to write these words? I think the most faithful reading of Psalm 110 verse 1 is actually to say that David is writing, he's almost writing as, a, as an observer of the Lord God. Speaking to someone that David has to acknowledge is his own Lord. So if you look at it with me, in fact, we quickly realize that um, as David writes about my Lord, perhaps, perhaps David is thinking about the one that has been promised to him, that eternal king of Second Samuel 7. There is one that God will make great as a king. So perhaps that is the one that he has been talking about. But that is a very unusual way of writing a son because unlike our times, in ancient times, a father, a father never calls the son my lord or my master. Never. You no, know, it's, it's kind of weird even if our time, can you imagine however great you are for your grandfather to kneel down to say, ah, my master. It's kind of weird to even think of that. Your parents will just give a slap and say, infilial child, you know? How dare you ask your grandfather. But, but, but that is how it is. But it is even more so in the ancient times, no matter how great your son is, the father never calls the son to be greater than him, because you are born out of your father. So this is a weird one, and, and we kind of ask, how does this Lord, or my Lord, work? So if you think of David, David would never call Solomon my Lord. Solomon would never call Rehoboam my Lord, and Even if you go to Abraham, Abraham will never call any of his descendants my Lord. They will only turn back to Abraham and not the other way around. So how does it work? It's only a New Testament where we come here and uh, that we are confronted with this issue of my Lord. And I invite us to turn to Matthew 22 verse 41 to verse 46 because this is a very interesting one. That Jesus, in this account, he's giving the the religious elites, the principal of the theological school, an exam question of Psalm 110. And this is the exam question that, that Jesus gives to the religious elites and they totally fail. It. Can you imagine if someone along the road give a principal an exam of his specialty and he cannot totally flunk the exam? This is exactly what happens in Matthew 22. Let me read this for us. Matthew 22 verse 41. When well, the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about a Messiah? son is he? The son of David replied. And Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says in Psalm 110 verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him the Messiah Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day, no one dared to ask Jesus any more question. So what happens in Matthew 22 here, is that both the the Pharisees and Jesus, they actually agree. You know, Psalm 110 is written by David, no problem. Who is he talking about? The Messiah, no problem. But the problem comes, Jesus says, my question for you, my exam question is, how can David cause the Messiah that comes from him, Lord. And they were like, Gotta go. They left. (laughs) How can this happen? Why didn't David say, the Lord said to my son, but the Lord says to my Lord. Unless David, by God's Holy Spirit, realized that the Messiah that is to come from him, actually in some mysterious way, is greater than himself. And in some mysterious way, the the Messiah who comes after David was before David. Or to put it in another way, the coming Messiah, who we now know is Jesus the King, uh, did not become king because David is king. But it's actually the other way around. That David gets to be king because he has been prepared that the Messiah that comes from him is already God's king. So it was actually the other way around, that his kingship was because David would be the king uh, that God has chosen from before time. So here in some mysterious way, uh, it is uh, to put it this way, that David recognized the Messiah that God has promised as he ponders about it, that this Messiah is someone I have to call my Lord. It's almost, imagine in, in a company where where this person is put there because the inheritance is given to the grandson uh, in writings. So you're kind of put as taking care of this this company, but actually really, it is man. You're there because your grandson or your great-grandson has been put in writing that this belongs to him. So in some way, David recognized that the son that he has is actually his Lord well, the Pharisees couldn't answer this question, but this is a question that crucially needs to understand, uh, to be answered. So, one thing that's really crucial as we kind of look at Psalm 110, which we'll step into really soon, is to recognize David's understanding of the Messiah. Uh, because his recognition of the Messiah to be his Lord will display the rest of Psalm 110, the way he speaks about this Messiah promised to him, whom he calls Be his Lord. So, what is the content of the conversation between the Lord God and my Lord? Look with me as we go on to verse 1b. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, as David, by God's Spirit, ponders over the the promise of God. In Second Samuel 7, he begins to describe what has to come for this Messiah. The promise is that the Lord God is going to entrust all his power and authority to this my Lord. That is going to be his son or the promised Messiah. So he, in fact, God says to David's Lord, You are going to sit at my right hand and you are going to rule there because every enemy will be overcome and to be put under your feet. No, if the Lord God had been silent to King David, back in Psalm hundred and nine, the Lord God is not silent at all. In 110, in speaking to this king. And it's not King David. Because God will extend the scepter from Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, to this great king, David's Lord, and he will rule in the midst of the enemy. So, the image of God giving authority to this um, Messiah or this my Lord uh, is elaborated um, here and even further in another passage in the Old Testament, which could be none other than this Messiah that is being promised. And this this is uh, expanded in this passage from Daniel 7. Some of us may be familiar with it, but let me read to us Daniel 7, just two verses that expands. On what David has just said in Psalm hundred and ten. Let me read this for us. Daniel in a vision saw the one whom God will put at his right hand and says this in a vision, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient days, that is God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations And peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now we need to recognize that this has never happened for David. This has never happened for Solomon. And this has never happened to any of those Davidic kings None has sat on a perfect throne. None has ruled perfectly. None has that perfect 109 applied on him. None has that 110 applied for him. And David knew as he speaks about his future Lord that this person must be someone greater than a mere human king whose capacity is greater than his own. So David, as in in the Spirit of God, ponders on God's eternal promise to him, he recognized that unlike himself, or unlike any other kings, this king is going to rule forever. So any enemies who seem to be um, unpunished in 109, 110 tells us he will be fully put under the feet of the king. So as we kind of listen to Psalm 110 verse 1 and 2, Actually we do bring back ourselves to Psalm hundred two actually, where there is that one great king who will rule over all the enemies and he's the one that God will call to himself call the the one to be the son of God himself. So friends, all this we start to hear and think for a thousand years cannot be for listeners of David Psalm hundred and ten is like what is this Really about how is this really looking? Until for us, as we come to to the New Testament, it begins to unpack, and the answer is finally given on Psalm 110. And Jesus, you no, know, he, remember, he's giving a exam question to the Pharisees; they kind of feel it. Jesus gives the answer a few hours before he dies. This is what Jesus says. Let me read to us Matthew 26, 63 to 64. The high priest said to Jesus, I charge you on the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heavens. So in Jesus' words to the high priest at the time he acknowledged what people around were thinking that he is saying about himself that he is the son of David. He is the Messiah. In fact, he is the son of God. He is the one who will be seated at the right hand of God. And furthermore, he adds on Daniel 7 to say, And I am the son of man of Daniel 7, who climbs on the clouds of heaven. In fact, so victorious is Jesus' kingship that the Lord declares that followers will bravely and willingly follow their king which verse 3 of Psalm 110 tells us, Young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. So these are the words that have downfounded a thousand years, those who have listened to David's psalm and they kind of have figured out who he is. This has downfounded even the Pharisees in Jesus' time. And this is the psalm that is explained with Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, dear friends, the, the clock is ticking as we are listening to, to this psalm, that if Jesus, He cannot just die and never rose to life. You know what? We can just trash the Bible. Psalm 110 doesn't make sense. Judgment wouldn't come. But if Jesus has risen from the dead, then the clock has started. Psalm 110 that was spoken by David has begun. And God is putting the enemies of the king under his footstool. And it will Happen, whether we are aware or we are not. In fact, the Apostle Peter quotes 110 to explain Jesus' ascension to God's right hand this way. Let me read to you what uh, Apostle Peter explains about Psalm 110. Look at Acts 2 with me. Let me read this in his famous sermon. Peter says this, Acts 2, 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Dear friends, what has been left kind of puzzling for thousands of years, a thousand years before Jesus is answered when Jesus rose from the dead and because he is able to rise from the dead, what he says is true too that he is now seated at the right hand of God. The day will come when Jesus will judge and rule his enemies as some hundred and ten say. But before that happens, Jesus is offering a way out for those who recognize and this is where we come to the rest of um, the Psalm 110. Now we, we need to understand this about about God and about the way salvation or rescue or forgiveness works. A king a king has power to rule. A king has no power to forgive on behalf of God. So a king has power to rule. A king has no power to grant forgiveness or cleansing of sins for people. It is the job of God's priest. No king ever dared to do this. There was one who tried and he was kicked out of his kingship. David's predecessor, Saul, who who kind of took over uh, Samuel's role and God says, from now on, you're gone. Your kingship and your relationship with me. The role of the king is great. But his role is not the role of the priest who can go before God for forgiveness and for cleansing of sin. And this is where the Spirit of God works in David. He gave this most amazing second oracle. It will be equal, perhaps even more amazing than the first oracle. But look at the second oracle with me from verse 4 onwards. This is what David wrote. David wrote that God will also make David's Lord, this eternal king, an eternal priest. Now how is a king even possible to be made a priest? Now as David, he sat on his throne comfortably in Jerusalem, he was there pondering what God has done and what God has promised. As he looks back to his book of history, he ponders upon that in the history Of God's record, there was one king, one king who was both God's king and God's priest. There was one king that he's so great and a priest so great, even the greatest of them, their first father, Abraham, seeks after this king for blessings. And that's where we come to this first and one record of Melchizedek. In Genesis 14, let me invite us to look at Melchizedek in Genesis 14. This is the account where Abraham, the father of Israel, the great one where all the promises come from, he has, just, he has gone to fight a war, won a victory against his enemies, and he comes face to face with God's king-priest, Melchizedek. Genesis 14, verse 14. When Abram, Abraham, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as then. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relatives' lord and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlamah, and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sva, That is the king's valley. And listen to this. Then, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem as what we understand is actually Jerusalem. The king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God, Mosai. Notice that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of God. And he blessed Abram saying... Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. You now as King David, he kind of pondered on God's promise to him as he looked at the Messiah that's to come and he's thing again with the God's, God's promise to him. This Messiah is going to be greater than me, beyond me, perhaps in a mysterious way, before me. He comes to mind, the king-priest that is greater than even his father, Abraham himself. The king-priest, Melchizedek. So, as we listen in on David in his second oracle from verse 4, come back to me in verse 4. This is what David wrote about um, this second oracle. The Lord Yahweh has sworn and He will not change His mind, that you, meaning His Lord, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind that you a priest, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, in verse five, the Lord is at your right hand. This, this is a priest, but he speaks as if he's a king. The Lord is at your right hand, He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he lift his head high. Now see how David as he writes about my lord the king, now he talks about my lord the king priest who is defeating enemies as well. In fact, he is one that is greater than David, greater than Moses, even greater than Abraham. Because he comes in the eternal order of promise and his priesthood comes before there were any priests in Israel. And not only will David call this Messiah my lord, If Abraham had been around, he too would have called him my lord. Because he is one who comes in the order of Melchizedek before Abraham himself. And as you look at verse 5 and 7, this king priest, he will rule like a king. Who else can be this king except until we come to the New Testament that Jesus himself, says that he is. And here's where the book of Hebrews unpacks the understanding of this king-priest or this priesthood of Melchizedek for us. Now, if you're someone who has in Bible study, this week will be a great time to join the Bible study because you'll be just in time in Hebrews 7 and 8 on Melchizedek. But there's a whole range from chapter 8 and 9. In fact, the whole Hebrews, we can look at how Jesus saves. But I just want to focus a bit on Hebrews 7 to bring out what... Um, Psalm 110 has pointed out that the New Testament explains to be Jesus. So let me read a portion of Hebrews 7 for us. Hebrews 7 verse 1 to verse 5. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, a priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also the king of Salem means king of peace. So without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or ends of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he is. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. And we move on to verse 20 of Hebrews 7. Now other become priests without an oath, but this king, this one, he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. It's a long read, friends, but I want to pause here and consider what David has sinned and has written and how carefully God has prepared from the very beginning before David, before Moses, before Abraham, before all things to bring the king that will come to be that king priest, to judge and also to offer sacrifice to save us. You know, God revealed Jesus to be that Melchizedek, that king of righteousness, that king of peace. That son of David, that son of God, the Holy One, the blameless, the pure, the perfect sacrifice. So that we can come to know and recognize who he is when he appears. The reason why David writes this is not just for himself, but for us. That when we see Jesus, we don't see him as an accident. We see him not just, you want to be a king, you can be a priest, but we see that he has to be both. As God has promised. And friends, why is this relevance at the end of the day for all of us? As we come to the last psalm that we have been looking at, what is this relevance? I think the relevance is this. That because at the end of the day, as Psalm 2 says, we are actually the enemies of God. We are actually the enemies of God. We are the enemies of God. But those who despise God, when we leave to please ourselves, we are the enemies of God. When we worship money, comfort, pleasure, relationship, we are the enemies of God. When we make what God has been made good to be our God, they will skip God to have them. We are the enemies of God when we mistreat others in our thoughts, in our actions, in our desires. We are the enemies of God when we do think things, thinking that God cannot see and will not judge we are the enemies of God when we knowingly sin in all actions we are enemies of God when we get angry with people because they didn't treat us rightly they should treat us better we are the enemies of God at the end of the day when we live our life different from what the bible says the holy of God holy people of God will live we are the enemies of God who not just needs to know Jesus is the King and rejoice. We need to know Him as the priest who can solve our problem and to get us out of the final judgment that Psalm 109 has said and Psalm 110 will be fulfilled. And that is the reason why we need to know this King and this priest in our lives. I don't know about you, but I think that I desperately need it even though I say I know Jesus, because all in my life I, I reveal that there are times of my unbelief. There are times where I, I do sin against you Or there are times that I say, You oh are my God and I live as He is not. Even at times like now. I pray that God, you will apply, that Christ, the King Priest will apply what He has promised for His people on me. Because I don't want to be there on the final enthronement of Jesus on His return. And to find that of the two people of Psalms 1 and 2, I'm actually on the wicked side and not the righteous ones. Dear friends, we kind of conclude Psalm 110. The question for us is, do we see Jesus the way that David himself has seen? His son, the son of David, the son of God, the Messiah, the one that is in the order of Melchizedek, the one that God will sit on his throne forever. I pray that we would, and I pray that we will see Jesus as who he really is. And let me just close with these words of Jesus when he describes himself. This is what he says, and this is where I'll close. Jesus says, John eight fifty eight. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. Let's pray. Father, as we come to Psalm 110, it is a psalm that David writes, but he knows it's not about himself. But as we look at it, we realize he writes not just for himself, but he writes for us. We who, when we see what has happened at the cross, recognize that it was for us. That the priest in the order of Melchizedek was there, perfect, offering that final sacrifice, once and for all. So that those who come to him will be forgiven and be included as his people. And that we will not be called his enemies on the final day when all enemies will be placed under his footstool. So for us Christians, Father, we acknowledge Jesus both as our eternal king and we seek him to be our eternal priest, cleansing, purifying, forgiving us. We put our future hope in Jesus and help us not to turn away to other idols, not to worship any created things in this world, be it relationships, money, fame, pleasures. And wherever we fall into sin, Father, we pray, help us to come back quickly to our King Priest Jesus for forgiveness and to reaffirm our allegiance to Him. For those of us who are not Christians or we just question our faith, we pray, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us the way that He has revealed To King David. For Christ's glory, pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.